Spoiler alert. Welcome to Spoilers Ahead, your podcast guide to the latest TV show's twists and turns. On today's episode, we'll be talking all about the first season of Only Murders in the Building. So if the title of this podcast wasn't enough of a warning, let me break it down for you. If you have not watched this show yet, you will find out what happens if you continue to listen. So here is your final, final warning. Spoilers will indeed be ahead. Let's get into it. Before I continue, I wanted to mention a content warning that the following episode contains discussion on suicide. Only Murders in the Building is a new comedy mystery show from the mind of Steve Martin and John Hoffman. It follows an unlikely trio of Manhattan neighbors who live in the Arconia, a lavish Upper West Side building, who come together over their mutual love of true crime podcasts and set out to uncover the truth behind a murder in their own building. It stars Selena Gomez as Mabel, Martin Short as Oliver, and Steve Martin himself as Charles Hayden Savage. When a fire alarm goes off at the Arconia and residents are forced to evacuate, the trio meet at a nearby bar and bond over their shared love of a true crime podcast hosted by Cinda Canning. When they return to the building, it is uncovered that resident Tim Kono was found dead and assumed suicide. With their mutual love of true crime rampant, the trio sneak up and begin their search into the truth. Who was Tim Kono? And was he actually murdered? They document their own investigation in a podcast aptly named Only Murders in the Building. This show is similar to one of our previous podcast episode topics, Clickbait, in the sense that each episode is from a different character's point of view, yet it just isn't as intense as Clickbait does it. We still see other events unfolding that the narrator isn't a part of, but the individual narration gives us a glimpse into their private thoughts and lives that can help the audience uncover clues. Through this, we learn that Mabel and Tim were childhood friends, along with Oscar and Zoe. Ten years ago, Zoe was pushed off the roof and died. Tim saw who did it, but lied to authorities and said it was Oscar, putting him in jail for the past decade. Oscar was released on the night of Tim's murder, seen wearing a tie-dye hoodie walking up the stairs during the fire alarm. It is later revealed that he was standing outside of Tim's apartment when he heard the gunshot. He then ran. Through their investigation, Mabel finds hundreds of pieces of jewelry hidden in Tim's apartment. Her cousin tells her that Tim was trying to take down a black market jeweler, and he was worried about being killed. What's interesting about this show is that there are multiple mysteries that need to be solved. We have the main plot, who killed Tim Kono, the secondary mystery, who pushed Zoe off the roof 10 years ago, why, and why did Tim frame Oscar, and the third, what is the deal with all the jewelry? This show should honestly be in the dictionary next to the term red herring. Each episode leaves you with another suspect, this one even more believable than the last. Each and every one of them are viable. First we suspected Mabel, then Howard the Cat Guy, then Sting, yes, that Sting, then Tie-Dye Guy slash Oscar, then Theo and Teddy Demas. The list went on and on. So who did it? Who killed Tim Kono? The penultimate episode reveals that Jan, Charles's new girlfriend who also lives in the Arconia, may have killed Tim. It is revealed that she lied to everyone about being the first chair bassoonist in an orchestra, and her instrument cleaner that was previously thought to be a cat toy was found in Tim's apartment. Oh, did I leave that here? Uh, we found that in Tim Kono's apartment. 
It's a bassoon cleaner. Why would Tim have that? No idea. Hold on. The murdered guy also played bassoon? I mean, what are the odds of that? Do you think the killer is targeting bassoonists? Wait. You're not thinking that I... No. Oliver and Mabel are. But not me. <laughs> I would, too. Jeez. <laughs> so do you think Tim Kono... Can we not talk about Tim Kono right now? As a viewer, I just didn't want to feed into this theory. We have been tricked so many times before. It was the boy who cried wolf. But alas, it was her. The character that we didn't even meet until episode two and not again until episode four. She didn't even become involved in their search and a main character until episode eight, when Charles unlocked Tim's phone and she helped him go through it looking for clues. As someone with a degree in television production, and no, I know I am not an expert, but I did still study it, this kind of frustrated me. I was obsessed with this show when it came out. I watched and rewatched each episode at least three to four times searching for clues of my own. I found it really hard, actually, to rewatch this entire series because I was so upset with the finale. A good mystery at least introduces the main villain in the first episode not someone we don't see until further on. It's the same reason the finale of Pretty Little Liars was so deeply hated. We invested all this time to the characters, only for it to be a random person new to the series. Granted, Jan wasn't as mysteriously absent as Alex Drake from Pretty Little Liars, but the sentiment stands. She also wasn't at the memorial service for Tim, a fact that we know from shows in the past that the killer is likely to attend. The biggest clue to our murderer most likely lied in the opening credit sequence. Only five actors are listed. Our trio, Aaron Dominguez, who plays Oscar, and Jan's Amy Ryan. She is credited for all ten episodes, but is only seen in eight, and three of them are for a small amount of time. As a viewer, I would think the killer has to be Oscar or Jan, just because of the opening title sequence. We are unknowingly introduced to Jan in the first episode when Charles enters into his apartment and hears a bassoon playing through the courtyard. Later, we learn it was a recording, her alibi, planned so that the entire building hears her and thinks she is home instead of murdering Tim. And then I went back to my window to practice my Pavon piece. No, you didn't. I heard the bassoon that night. It sounded different. You weren't playing live. It was a recording. Yay! <laughs> oh, Charles. Do you see how good we are together? And how great is an alibi where the whole building can hear you playing? Oh, what else did you figure out about me? Tell me, tell me, tell me. When did you really start locking in on me? So, why did Jan kill Tim? She and Tim were lovers. She found an emerald ring delivered to his address and thought he was cheating. In reality, it was the ring on Zoe's finger the night she died. She stole it from Teddy and Theo Demas's apartment, and Theo had taken it back just moments before accidentally plunging her to her death. Tim witnessed this, but Teddy threatened Mabel's life if he told the truth and suggested he frame Oscar. Since then, Tim spent the past 10 years trying to take down the Demises and their grave robbing business to avenge his friend that he put in jail. 
Jan poisons Tim with what she calls one final drink, puts all the evidence in a trash bag for him to discard, and sends him back home. Jan pulls the fire alarm and goes into Tim's apartment, where she finds him writhing on the floor. She stages a suicide and leaves for the cops to find his body. During Jan's monologue, she makes it clear that Tim wasn't her first kill. Oh, there it goes. That's exactly how Tim sounded. A handkerchief. Yay, handkerchief. Not the glasses. I mixed it up this time. You know, I'm not one of those who always does it the same and has to carve a niche for themselves, even though I did carve a niche in myself. <laughs> Since she is still alive, perhaps we will see her in the future, whether that be in jail, court, or flashback to her previous murders. One of the other biggest clues was in the first five minutes of the show, when Tim gets on the elevator with a trash bag on floor six. Our trio is already on the elevator going up to their own homes. Tim gets off at nine where he lives. No one even questions why he was on floor six with a blue strapped trash bag when he only owns orange strapped ones. A theme across this show is the revelations made by people not in the trio that lead to major clues being solved. One of the podcast fans asks the trio why Tim got on the elevator on the sixth floor when he lives on nine a major miss our heroes never even thought about. Charles's neighbor stumbles into the hallway almost randomly and asks if anyone else feels lightheaded. This gives the trio answers as to where Jan went after attempting to murder Charles in her quest to kill everyone in the building. She just must have gone to the boiler room. Saz Pataki, Charles's lookalike stunt double from his past, points out the items in the trash that lead to Tim's murder being a crime of passion. These instances show how the trio was so involved with crafting the perfect show that they missed important clues. They needed outside help. The lazy writing of the finale seemed rushed and implausible. It was just kismet that the neighbor ran out to the trio insinuating that he smells gas, and the scheme in the boiler room where Oliver and Mabel haphazardly disconnected tubes from machines because, well, that just has to be what's causing this, despite their clear incompetencies. Don't get me wrong, I still love the show, and I will recommend it to anyone looking for something to watch. But the reveal of Jan as the murderer and the falling action left me disappointed. During my first watch, I was convinced the murderer was Will, Oliver's son. He was a veterinarian, so he had access to drugs, and he could easily poison people. And he grew up around the same time as Mabel and Tim, so he could have had some type of childhood dirt on them and seeking revenge. As the series progressed, it was clear that the whole concept of the show was that the murderer was someone who lived in the building. Will did not, but neither did Theodemus. We are led to believe that he does, but one line from his father in episode 7 proves this false, and was easily missed by many. He signs to Theo that he has his own place, so why is he always at his dad's in the Arconia? Theo was a popular suspect among viewers. But this line was easily missed because it was sign language, and we had to really pay attention to the captions at that point. In the end, after the trio triumphs over Jan and puts her behind bars, they celebrate on the roof. When Mabel leaves to go get more champagne, Oliver and Charles receive a mysterious text from an unknown number saying, get out of the building now, and they hear sirens approaching. They run to get Mabel and find her soaked in blood and kneeling over a dead body wearing a tie-dye hoodie. 
She turns the body over and it's Bunny, the miserable HOA president who tried to get the trio evicted, stabbed with Mabel's knitting needle. Mabel insists that she found her like this, but the police burst in and arrest the trio. They are escorted out of the Arconia to a group of their neighbors looking on, including the four podcast fans and Oscar, all wearing tie-dye hoodies, and Cinda Canning with her assistant, already recording a podcast about them. So starts the mystery for season two. The appeal of the show, I believe, comes down to our unlikely trio of heroes. We see a father-daughter relationship bloom between Mabel and Charles. At one point, she even asks him how invested she should get in case he has cancer and dies. Each of them are lonely and have experienced their own heartbreak and loss. They form their own family and support system between each other. Mabel takes a moment to talk to her mother about their unlikely friendship. The old men are sad characters. I guess. Mm. Sort of. They're also the first friends I've had in a really long time. But seriously, how old are they? Like really old. Their generational differences brought them closer together. And now that they've experienced their own tragedy as a group, they will be even closer as we go into season two. After the finale, I am left with many questions. I'm going to list them for you. If Tim took garbage from Jan's apartment, why did it have his own mail in it? She said it was a bag of his things, but he immediately threw everything down the garbage chute. So clearly it wasn't anything important. Why did she even have his mail in her apartment? Multiple notes were found throughout this series. Who wrote the note on Jan and Oliver's doors? Was it just Jan to seem less suspicious, or was it Bunny's killer? Why was Bunny wearing a tie-dye merchandise sweatshirt for the podcast if she hated the trio? Why was she in Mabel's apartment? When Oliver gets off the elevator in the premiere, we see Eleanor the cat in the hallway. There has to be some significance here, and I'm really curious about what that was. Was it just simply to signify that she was alive when Tim was? Throughout the series, it was known that the whole building couldn't use their fireplaces because of Tim Kono's allergies. But Oliver is seen flipping his on in the first episode before Tim is murdered. Could Oliver be behind any of this? We know that he is desperate for a comeback and could be searching for great content. How did Jan get to Charles's apartment so quickly from across the courtyard and about four to six stories down when she asked him on a date? It took her about only 30 seconds to get there. Why would Theo be the password to Tim's phone? I understand his investigation into him, but would anyone really set someone else's name as the password if they were hated by them? Jan goes through Tim's phone with Charles. If Tim was such a meticulous record keeper as she said he was, how could there not be anything on there about her? Did she wipe it before leaving his body, or did she hide anything from Charles or delete it along the way? Towards the end, Jan tried to constantly steer the trio away from their suspects. Why? Did she want to get caught? Was this all a game to her? You would think a murderer would encourage people looking at other people. Who texted Oliver and Charles to get out of the building? And who called the police before they even found Bunny dead? This was all clearly a setup. And how were the podcast fans, Cinda and her assistant, already there and already recording? How did they even know what was going on? I also noticed that all the fans are wearing tie-dye merch as well. Were they all with Bunny before she died? One interesting note about Bunny's murder is that she was killed with a knitting needle, 
Earlier in the season, Mabel narrates that she's fantasized about killing someone with that as a weapon of choice. The only person that she tells is Oscar. Could Oscar be framing Mabel for murder as payback for Tim framing Oscar to protect her? I will definitely set my indifference aside for the finale, and I look forward to tuning into the next season, where I hope to get some answers and see what is to come for our trio. If you want to read my blog about the generational gap in only murders in the building and the exploitativeness of true crime, specifically with podcasts, check out my blog at erindineblogs.wordpress.com. Tune in next week, where I will discuss the major twist in the Korean hit show that took the world by storm this year, Squid Game. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Spoilers Ahead. We'll see you next week.